St. Paul's epistle to the Philippians, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, good morning. Here we are, the final Sunday of Lent, the home stretch, ready to say hasta la vista, baby, to Lent until 2020. Uh, a lot of people look at Lent that way as sort of something to be endured, something to sort of muddle through, something to maybe struggle through, something where you have to wait until Easter so you can finally go back to having a red IPA from the walking tree, just for example. Um, but actually, I hope you've seen that Lent is actually an extremely helpful season in the church's life because what we've been talking about all season and our book study, uh, C.S. Lewis's The Problem of Pain, uh, has also been nailed repeatedly week after week. What we've been talking about is that life is really about suffering. And I don't mean it's about suffering exclusively, not completely, mind you, but, you know, there are good moments in life. It's not always hard. It's not always difficult. Uh, and, and in fact, Lewis even says this very thing in his book, and this is a great quote. He says, Our Father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant ends, but will not encourage us to mistake them for home. The point, of course, is that for the Christian, suffering is actually something useful, something which we can use to our own growth. Because when we suffer, in all different ways, what it actually does is it shatters the things we rely upon outside of God. And more importantly, we learn through suffering to, su to lean on him for our sense of identity and happiness and peace. C.S. Lewis calls this self-surrender. And if you're like me, you really only self-surrender when you have to, right? It's only when we realize through suffering and struggle that the things that we leaned on for peace and joy fail us, and we're left trying to find the solution. And so today I want to look at this process of growth through suffering and struggle in the personal story of a chap that you've heard of before. His name is Saul of Tarsus, also known as St. Paul when he's converted. A man, as I'll show you, who had it all. A man who lost it all, and a man who as a result gained everything. St. Paul was a man who had it all, lost it all, and thereby gained everything. So two points from St. Paul's epistle to the Philippians, which is jam-packed and super appropriate to our culture today. Two points. First, a warning about our own confidence, point number one. And then secondly, the joy of the identity in Christ. So point one is from Paul's life, a warning about confidence in ourselves, point one. And secondly, the joy and the peace of identity in Christ. So the first thing I want to tackle, the first point, is a warning from Paul about overconfidence in ourselves. Now, what do I mean? Well, you and I know that we live in a culture which is always pushing us to be successful, right? We live in a success-obsessed success obsessed culture. Boy, say that five times fast. A, su a success-obsessed culture where everybody wants to prove themselves. I want to be somebody. We all fail. 
I mean, all of social media is about this very thing, right? Go on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever, and you'll see people that have all these great pictures of their lives, and it's all a bunch of baloney, most of it. It's all manufactured. It's not real. It's not authentic, but yet we do these things. We portray this image because you and I, we want to be somebody. Reminds me of this idea of wanting to be somebody. Reminds me of this funny quote from Lily Tomlin, who's a comedian. She said, uh, have here, she says, I've always wanted to be somebody, but I see now that I should have been more specific. <laughs> and, and let me just say this, if many of you, if you know me, I, I am a type A hard-charging personality, so I am not... I am not dismissing hard work. I'm not dismissing that we should try to prove ourselves. What I am saying is that you've got to know why you're doing it. If you're going to strive to work hard, you've got to know why. And let me give you an example from the life of Saul of Tarsus. St. Paul, Saul, same guy, name changes after he's converted. I'm not going to talk about that today much. But for sake of argument, Saul of Tarsus, he was a rock star. We think of Saul of, of Tarsus as a mean guy who went around killing Christians, which is true, but people in that culture, as a first century Jew, St. Paul embodied everything good and right about first century Jewish culture. His name is Saul, Saul of Tarsus. The name Saul, Saulas in Greek, means great. King Saul was the first king of the Jews, as you know. And Saul was the kind of guy, if you were a first-century Jew, that you admired. He was a Bush or a Kennedy. The guy, Saul of Tarsus was the kind of guy, if you had a son, that you wanted your boy to grow up to be like. He had a lot going for him, Saul of Tarsus did. He was brilliant. He was wealthy. His parents owned a tent-making company of some variety. Saul went to the best private school that money could buy. He was trained under a guy named Gamaliel, who appears later on in the New Testament, trained by a preacher and a teacher of the law that few could even approach, let alone pay for. So Saul was a rock star, man. He was the embodiment of success in his culture. He was highly educated. He was intelligent. He moved in important circles. He was from an influential family. Saul was loved by his people. Saul, lo Saul loved his people, the Jews, and he loved God. And Saul was cocky, you might say. And, he, and frankly, from a worldly perspective, listen, he had every right to be so. Let me read to you what he says here in verses 4 through 6. I'll read it again. It's in your bulletin. Paul says, he's going through, uh, he's warning the people that he's writing to, and then he says this, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh... I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, top of the heap. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. This is a killer. As to righteousness under the law, Paul says, I'm blameless. <laughs> now, let me, all, those, all those things sound funny to a 21st century post-enlightenment Western person like yourself, I mean, being circumcised and keeping the law isn't going to land you a job at Google, for example. But if you were a first century Jew, those things, all those credentials he lays out, make you somebody that everybody else wants to be like. Make you somebody that people admire. But even though 
Saul has everything the world could offer him. Listen, he knew deep down that something wasn't right. Many of you know, um, I turned 50 in December, December 20th. It just sounds so weird saying I'm 50 years old. I feel like it's absurd, but anyway, I did. And people would say to me, hey, Father, how does it feel to be 50? And I said, well, it feels better than being 51, I guess. Uh, But I'll, I'll be honest with you, 50 wasn't even that hard for me, and I'll tell you why, because I was fortunate enough to have a midlife crisis at the age of 35. I hope I live to be older than 70, if not so, but I mean, I had a midlife crisis at the age of 35. What do I mean? Well, I was 35 years old, I was married, I had two kids, had a great job for a company working outside of Philadelphia in information technology. If you care, I was the director of Active Directory Infrastructure for a worldwide uh, network that I ran. I had a master's degree. I was happy. I had a great job making killer money. I had a dog. In fact, we even had a, we even had a white picket fence out in the, behind the house. So the point is, you know, from a worldly perspective, I had, I had everything the world could offer me. Life was good, at least it should have been, and it was good physically, worldly-wise, but no matter what I had, I knew, I knew, even, even though, listen, even though I had proved myself according to this, the standards of the culture in which I live and you live, even though I'd proved myself, something was missing. Life was killing. Life was killing me. Let me ask you a question. You ever been there? I hope you have. You ever been to that point where you realize that the world, you, the things you trusted in for your welfare and your success and the things you used to measure yourself and your success, they're taken away and you're left hanging? Maybe it's a, I don't know, a life-threatening medical condition that knocked you into a long recovery, maybe forever. Maybe it's the loss of someone that you love. Someone dies tragically. Maybe it's a child who's gone off the reservation and, and is, can't, you can't get to come back to your, the, the family you had. The point is, somewhere along the line, the bottom will fall out for you. And the things you relied upon, that you stand upon for your own self-worth and value, value they will fail you. Maybe, like me, it's being a 35-year-old kid and getting everything you wanted and realizing that life was pretty empty. The point I want you to see here is, even though Paul's talking about circumcision and Benjamin and Israel, man, that dy- those specifics don't mean anything to you, but that dynamic does. Because Paul realized that no matter how hard he tried, no matter how many Bible quotes he memorized, no matter how many Christians he dragged before the courts to prosecute, his sense of worth his sense of identity, his sense of value in the world failed him. Kind of reminds me of another guy, another overachiever, third century saint by the name of Saint Augustine of Hippo. Guy was a party animal. He, uh, brilliant, uh, highly educated, partied like a rock star. Augustine did things I've never even thought of, frankly. And yet, Augustine finally comes to the point in his life when he has it all, and he realizes he's not satisfied, and he has his famous quote in his book, Confessions. He says, he says, oh God, oh God, all hearts are restless until they rest in you. Are you restless? If you're like me, and you are, because you are a human being living in a fallen world, 
then you are probably your own worst enemy. And what I mean by that is that you, like Paul and like me, are always trying to prove yourself, always trying to one-up, always trying to earn your way in the pecking order, always trying to be loved, frankly, trying to prove yourself to your friends or your parents or that punk kid that teased you on the playground when you were six years old. Maybe you're trying to uh, prove an old score with your fifth-grade nun who said to you, Mr. Rodriguez, you will never amount to anything. <laughs> well, laughs on you, sister. <laughs> if you're not at peace, there's a reason for that. And Paul shows us Paul was not at peace. His own sin, his own brokenness, his own honest assessment of who he was haunted him. And he also realized something extremely profound, that God called him and you and I to be righteous, to live rightly. But no matter how hard he tried, he failed. No matter how hard you try, you fail too. No matter how many chocolate bunnies you give up over Lent, no matter how many, how many, no matter, no matter how many people think you're just great, at least to your face, <laughs> no matter how much you achieve worldly-wise, these things, friends, will fail you. Well, thanks for that encouragement, Father. That's really great. Well, hang on. Once you get your mind around that, that the things of this world will, fa will fail you, it's actually incredibly liberating. It is the most empowering thing you will ever discover about yourself because only by admitting your brokenness can you find, my second point, the solution, which is the confidence of Christ. Paul's confidence in himself blinded him to his own weakness. He tried and he tried and he tried, and no matter what he did, he failed each time. Until, until riding to Damascus one day to round up some Christians, to bring them back to the, for trial, Paul got knocked off his horse, didn't he? And he met Jesus, and he realized that the love and the respect and the sense of self-worth that he'd always strived to get by earning his way, he now realized that those things had failed him, but what made him worthwhile was Jesus, who saved him. And Paul saw the trap of believing in his own success. Paul realized, Paul realized, and he knew that he mattered, not because of what he did, but he mattered because he mattered to Jesus. And he says this in verse 7. He says, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. If I told you what Paul really said, uh, I'd probably get fired. <laughs> It is very strong profanity. It ain't worth uh, fill in the blank. But here's the thing I want you to see. Paul, we spend so much of our lives trying to prove ourselves, and we never stop and ask the most important question, which is, why? To what end? I mean, just last week, a friend of mine said, you know, the older I get, the more I realize that things don't really matter. It's kind of like I've seen this so many times. People that rise and up, 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 and they get to the top, and they look around and go, somebody very close to me had this very experience, got to the very top and looked around and said, this is it? Paul says, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do know, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal. 
And the reason he does is because Paul comes to realize that Christ owned him. In other words, Paul realized probably the most important lesson you will ever learn, and that is this, my brothers and sisters, that your life really isn't about you at all, but about the God who made you, about Jesus who died to save you from hell, and who calls you to live not for yourself and trying to prove yourself because you'll fail, but rather he wants to call you to use the gifts he's given you to serve him and to give him glory. That's where true joy is found. Later on, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, chapter 6 he, says, he says, you are not your own. Think about that. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, Jesus' death on the cross. So glorify God in your body. But don't you see? The point of life, the meaning of life, isn't about you trying to prove yourself at all. It's about giving yourself, giving, using the time, talent, and treasure God has given you and trusted you with to glorify the God that made you. This is our last Sunday of Lent, and my prayer and my hope has been that Lent would be an opportunity for you to be brutally honest with yourself, that you, that you and I are fallen, broken, works in progress, but coupled with the knowledge that Jesus died to save you and make you his own. Friends, salvation and peace and joy is not a reward for good behavior. It is not a result of your effort. It is not something God gives you when you've finally proved it. Oh, no. Joy, the peace which passes all understanding, is a gift for those who trust in Jesus to take away our sins, to make us worthy, and whose confidence is not in ourselves at all, but rather in him who owns us. Shall we pray? Father, show us the trap of relying on our own success. Save us from the trap of our, being our own saviors. Give us humility and gratitude for the blessings you've placed in our lives and remind us that we are given all of these things not to glorify ourselves, which is empty, but to glorify you, which gives us joy. Make our confidence in Jesus the only thing which will never fail us. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.